how many of you Texas Ranger fans in here remember the name Julio Franco? Anybody remember that? Yeah. I know he played for a a few different teams, but I know he had some good years at at Texas. And though I don't keep up with baseball now like I used to, I read recently where he retired back in 2007. And when he retired, he was the oldest player playing in the major leagues at that time at the age of 49, which makes sense because I used to watch him when I was in Little League. And one thing I remember about Julio Franco is his unique batting stance. And I have a few pictures here. Here's a close-up. Let's look at the next one. Look at this. Yeah, it's very unique, isn't it? And when I was playing City League ball with my friends, we used to mimic a lot of the batting stances that we would see in the major leagues. And his was one of the batting stances that many of us would try and imitate. And the reason why is because, look, it just looks cool, doesn't it? I mean, it looks like he's pointing right at the pitcher like, I'm about to rip the cover off the ball, right? Very intimidating. We, we loved it. So we would go into batting practice, and we would hold the bat like that, like Julio Franco, and thankfully, I had some good coaches who would let us know that there's only one Julio Franco and we're not him, right? But uh, we, would, we would still try and hold the bat like that at times, and what we found was our coaches were right. Though it worked for Julio Franco, it did not work for us, and it resulted in us striking out more often than not. Now, again, fortunately... We had some good coaches who would work with us on readjusting our our batting stance and show us the best way to hold and swing a bat so that we could make contact with the ball. But, But here's my point. My point here is this. There are some examples in our world today, whether it be in sports or in business or just in life, that we should avoid. Am I right? Though there are some good examples out there to follow, for every good example, I would probably say that there are a few dozen bad ones out there, aren't there? And it's important for us to know the good from the bad, because like we said last week, there are many in our world today who are not happy with where they are in life and truly believe that by following one of these examples, they can move from where they are and truly be happy. Though we discussed last week that it's not altogether bad to experience this kind of dissatisfaction in life because it can lead unbelievers to see their need of Christ and can lead believers to continue in their pursuit of godliness. The problem with many of us is that we often look to the wrong things and pattern our lives after the wrong people and we remain unhappy and dissatisfied in life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 5. Continuing our series through this great book. And last week we looked at the first half of this passage and we discussed that at the beginning of this chapter, Paul gives the believers in his day and us as greater Christian audience the perfect example to follow. Look at it. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul tells us that if we are going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, we as believers must look to and pattern our lives after the perfect example, God himself. We must pattern our lives after him. We must seek to imitate him. Remember I told you last week that this verse here is the bottom line on the Christian life. This is the central principle to walking worthy. If someone were to come up to you and ask you how the Christian life is to be lived, you could share with them this verse here. You could tell them that we as believers are to be imitators of God. We're to be like Him. We're to walk as He walked. We're to do what He does. Now, this is easier said than done, right? Remember, believers, we also said last week that we cannot do this on our own. We need divine assistance. We need assistance from God to be who he has called us to be. And the good news is that he gives this to us. Paul tells us that in his book, does he not? He tells us that in this book, in the the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.10, remember what he said there? He said, we are God's workmanship created by him in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul also tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that it is God who strengthens us with power through His Spirit in our inner being. So, though walking worthy, being, being imitators of God is a work that we're to do, It's also a work that God does in us. And last week we looked at the work that we're called to do and the work that God is to be doing in us. And we looked at what it looks like to be an imitator of God. And we said that we do this by walking in love, walking in purity, and walking as light. Well, today we're picking up where we left off last week by looking at a few more ways that we are to walk as imitators of God. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 15 through 21 this morning. And in this passage, Paul tells us, in addition to walking in love and in purity and as light, we walk as imitators of God by walking in wisdom and by walking in the Spirit. Notice first, we walk in wisdom. Look at verse 15. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Remember, Paul is speaking to believers here. And he tells them to be careful in their walk. He says, look carefully how you walk. What he means is, pay close attention to the way in which you live your lives. He says, do not live as the fool does, but walk in wisdom. Do you know what the biblical definition of a fool is? We have several in in the Word of God, but a good definition is found in Psalm 14, verse 1. You have it in your spiritual growth guide. In this verse, David 
tells us. He says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Now, though we often use this verse in Psalm 14 to counter the atheists who claim that they don't believe in God, David's focus here is more upon the evil actions of unbelievers. He says the fool says in his heart, not with his mouth, but in his heart, that there is no God. And we know that our actions are a reflection of our heart. Am I right? Yeah. And, and David says here that the fools, they live as if they don't believe in God in their hearts. They, they show through their actions what is in their hearts. He says they are corrupt. He's addressing their evil deeds, right? They, they do abominable deeds. Why? Because their hearts are not right, right? So though this verse can counter the claims of an atheist, I believe that because it is foolish to say that God doesn't exist. David's main focus here, his main point here, is that the fool is the one who lives and acts as if God has no claim on his life. As if he doesn't exist. Paul tells the Christians of his day in Ephesians 5.15, he says, don't live like that. Don't live like the fool lives. Don't walk unwisely. Don't live like the fool who acts as if God has no claim on his life. Paul says, you're not to live that way, believers. You, you know better. Listen, if you have Christ, if you are in Christ, you know how you are to live. If you're in Christ, you have all the wisdom you need. You have access to all the wisdom you need. Do you realize that? Do you realize, believers, that because you're in Christ, you have access to all wisdom? Remember, Paul said this to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2. He says, because you're in Christ, God has, has imparted to you hidden wisdom to, to you through His Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit impart wisdom to us believers? He does it through his word, doesn't he? Listen, when you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you are indwelt with the very Spirit of God. And scripture is clear that the Spirit of God, through the word of God, imparts the wisdom of God to us. He shows us, through his word, who God is and who we are, and who we have become in Christ, and how we are to live in light of who we are. And Paul tells us here in Ephesians 5.15, be sure to walk in that wisdom, believers. Be sure to live your life under God's guidance and direction and guided by His Spirit through His Word. Look at verse 16. Paul says, making best the best use of the time because the days are evil in other translations it says redeeming the time what does that mean redeeming the time well the word for time used here is the greek word kairos and it, it when translated means occasion or opportunity paul is saying here 
that we as believers, we are to carefully and cautiously walk in wisdom, making the most out of every occasion and opportunity. Paul is saying here, believers, you're to walk in wisdom and make every moment count. You are to to try and grab every moment you can for God and for his glory. Believers, there are moments every day to be grasped for God. And many of us, we are missing those moments left and right. And scripture is clear that, that we don't know. How many more of these moments that we'll have? So we need to be making the most out of every opportunity that God has given us. John Piper's great book, Don't Waste Your Life, he shares a great quote by C.T. Studd. And here it is. Check this out. Only one life, which will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. It's right, right there. It's Paul's point. This is what it looks like to, to walk worthy right here. It's to make every moment count. To live each and every moment for God as if it's our last. Because believers, it might be. Might be. Think about how our lives and how our church would look different if we truly took this to heart we truly grasp the fact that we're all going to die someday maybe today therefore we got to make every moment count for God we got to grab every opportunity we can can you imagine what that would look like if we would grab every moment we can for Christ Can you imagine the impact it would have, believers in church, if we would do that? Can you imagine the impact it would have here in Jacksonville and beyond? It'd be awesome. Now, why is it so important that we do this? Why is it so important that we make every opportunity count? Why is it important that that we, we grasp every moment we can for God and for his glory? Notice the latter half of verse 16. Paul says, because the days are evil. Folks, since the fall, we've been living in dark days where the majority of people are living their lives apart from and opposed to God. We're we're told time and time again this in God's word, and we witness this on a daily basis, the fact that the ways of this world are counter to the ways of God. And those on the narrow path, those following hard after God are few and far between. And those on the narrow path who are making the most of every opportunity are even fewer. Don't believe me. Let me ask you this. How many times this past week did you witness a believer making God's name great? How many times this past week? How many times this past week did you hear God's gospel shared? How many times this past week did you hear the name of Jesus used in an honoring way? Not very many, right? You know why? Because the days are evil. And we as God's people are not responding like we should. We're not grabbing every opportunity we can for God and for his glory. John MacArthur said it like this. You know I quote him a lot, but he's got a lot of great quotes. Listen to this. 
Every day there's an opportunity. There's a golden jewel that God places in front of you that can be grabbed for his glory. Some people are always going to pray. They're going to get down to the business to study the Bible. And they're going to serve the Lord. And they're going to tell their neighbor about Christ. And they're going to read the Bible. They just never get to it. He says, the greatest fool in the world is the fool who wastes time. Paul says here, that's got to change. He says, because you have been changed, that has to change. He says, because you've been raised from death to life, because you have been made new, do not continue to walk as you once walked, because you've been made new. You've been made new. So walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called by walking in wisdom, making best use of the time because the days are evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice, Paul calls us here to have direction as well, doesn't he? He's not calling for us to just run out in a panic because our days are numbered and go in any direction without direction. After calling for the Christians of his day and us, his greater Christian audience, to make the most out of every opportunity and grab every moment that we can for God, he comes back here in verse 17 and he says, Now don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen, a foolish person will either squander opportunities or fill it with good stuff that isn't the best stuff. That, too, is not making the best use of your time. We're not just to run off half-cocked doing anything. You know, in, in the past, our leadership and our staff, we have done away with some good things. And the reason why is because they take away from the best things. Listen, folks. The last thing this church needs is to just do more activity, to, to, to do more good things. What we need to understand is what the will of the Lord is, and we need to put our eggs in that basket. That's what I believe we're making strides to do here. Our mission statement is this. It says, we are all about making disciples here at Fellowship by escorting people to Christ, establishing them in truth, and equipping them for ministry. That's the great commission left by Christ to us. And that's what we've been talking about in our elders' meetings this past year on how we do that. We're trying to put our eggs in that basket. We've had to say no to certain things, good things, so that we can focus on the best things. That's what Paul's calling for here. He says to walk worthy by being imitators of God, we must walk in wisdom under the guidance and direction of the only wise God, making the best use of our time, grabbing every moment we can for him because the days are evil understanding what the will of the Lord is and doing it. There's a fifth and final point we find in this passage. Paul says, in addition to walking in love and in purity and as light as we talked about last week, and, and, and in addition to walking in wisdom, we 
are to walk as imitators of God by walking in the Spirit. Look at verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that is recklessness, that is carelessness. But, Paul says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, now first off, we see here, this is a clear teaching against drunkenness, right? In the first part of this verse. Paul says it as clear as day. He says, do not get drunk. And some will try to get smart with that. And he says, well, he just says with wine. So beer must be okay. No. Drunkenness is, is wrong, period. It's condemned more than a few times in the scriptures. And it's condemned here. But the main point of this verse is the latter half of verse 18. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I thought we've said already in this study that we as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. You know, I thought Paul said back in chapter 1 that when we come to Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and we're sealed by Him forever if that's the case what does paul mean here when he says be filled with the spirit well i think he answers that question for us in the first part of verse 18 he says instead of being under the influence of alcohol be under the control and the influence and the authority of the spirit you ever been around a drunk person alcohol affects everything doesn't it really does Affects the way they look, the way they talk, the way they walk. And Paul uses that imagery here to say don't be influenced in that way, but instead be filled, be influenced, be controlled by the Holy Spirit in such a way that you look different, that you talk different, and that you walk different. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this means to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Live under His authority and influence. And notice what results when we do this. Look at verses 19 through 21. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Folks, again, like we said a moment ago, when you come under the influence of something, it affects the way you live. It affects the way you talk and the way you walk. Notice here that Paul tells us that being filled with the Spirit, it does the same thing. Notice the results here of being filled with the Spirit. Paul says when we as believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, the results are that we speak the Word of God to each other. We sing praises to the Lord. We give thanks to Him for everything. And we submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. He gives us here, folks, Paul gives us here a great way for us to examine ourselves to see if we are being influenced by the Holy Spirit. When you spend time with others, what do you talk about? Talk about God's Word? 
Do you talk about what God is doing in your life? If you're filled with the Spirit, if you're living your life under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit, those kind of conversations will naturally happen. You know why? Because when we get together, we always talk about the things that are most important to us. We do. Parents, when you get together, you talk about your kids, don't you? Grandparents, when you get together, you talk about your kids and your grandkids, right? Guys, when you get together, you talk about sports or you talk about fantasy football. Our ladies are meeting today to craft. When you ladies get together, I'm sure you talk about crafting and quilting, right? You see, we talk about the things that are the most important to us. We talk about people and activities that play a big part in our lives. So if that's the case, if we're spirit-filled, God's word and his work will be a regular topic of conversation in our lives. Not only will we speak God's word to others, but we'll sing his words to him. Paul says, those who are filled with the spirit sing and make melody to the Lord with all their heart. If we're walking under the authority of the Spirit and being controlled by Him, get this, we're always going to have a song to sing, aren't we? How much time do you spend when you leave this place each and every week worshiping God? How much time do you spend speaking God's words back to him, singing his words back to him, praying his words back to him. Get this, to do this, to speak his words, to sing his words, and to pray his words back, we have to know his word too, right? We have to spend time reading his word and studying his word and learning it. How much time do you spend doing that each week? That should give you a good idea of whether or not you are guided and controlled and influenced by the Spirit of God. Notice also that a Spirit-filled person is a thankful person. Paul says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the prayer Tim just prayed a while ago. So thankful, so thankful for the work that he's done in our lives. Are you? Are you you knowledgeable of the work that God has done and, and is doing in your life and in his world? And do you continually give him thanks for those things? Listen, the more you walk under the guidance and direction and control of the Holy Spirit, the more you allow him to influence you and control you, the more your eyes will be open to all the ways in which he's blessed you. And that will lead you to be thankful. Notice lastly, spirit-filled person is also a submissive person. Now we're going to spend more time on this in the coming weeks. But let me say a few things about this before we dismiss today. Notice what Paul says in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says that those who are spirit-filled honor the God-given roles given to them in their relationships. You know, we often view words like authority and submission as bad words, don't we? Those are bad words in our society, authority and submission. But do you realize that we imitate God when we submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ? 
And you know why that is? You know why we imitate God when we, when we submit? Because we see authority and submission within God himself. God exists in relationship with himself as one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see authority and submission in the way God relates to himself as Trinity. Do you realize that? In Scripture, we're told that the Son is sent by the Father to earth and he comes to fulfill the will of the Father and he's guided by the Holy Spirit. And after he accomplishes this work, we see the Holy Spirit comes and he's sent by Christ and his work is to point to the person and work of Christ and to apply that work to people's lives. And then we see the Father give the Son that is the name that is above all names. We see authority and submission in the Godhead. This is a a divine quality. Isn't that something? So when you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, you're being an imitator of God. And let me say something else about this verse, and this is sort of a side note, but this will really lead us into what we're going to talk about next week. Many use this verse to say that Paul is talking about a mutual submission between husbands and wives. They'll say the husband is really not the head because both are called to submit to one another in Ephesians 5, 21. Well, I want to call your attention to something here. Now, look at your Bibles. Look at this passage. All right, I want to break this down for you. Notice this verse occurs at the end of a paragraph in verse 21. The reason it was divided in this way is because this verse is meant to be read and understood in the passage that we've been studying this morning. In the larger passage, in verses 1 through 20, Paul is explaining what it looks like to be an imitator of God. And we've talked about that, right? He shows us how we do this by walking in love, walking in purity, walking as light, walking in wisdom, and walking in the Spirit. And then... In verse, after verse 18, when he talks about walking in the Spirit, Paul in verses 19 through 21 gives us the subpoints of what it looks like to be Spirit-filled. Notice he says, Those who are filled with the Spirit speak the truth to one another, praise the Lord by singing and making melody in their hearts, by being thankful to God for everything, and by submitting to one another in love. And then when he gives verse 21... That's the end of the paragraph. And then he goes on to give us three relationships where submission and authority are to occur, where submission is to occur. Are you with me? So in the first half of that, Paul says, be imitators of God. And then he shows us what that looks like. And the last point he makes is to walk in the Spirit. And then in verses 19 through 21, he shows us what that looks like. And then in verse 21, he says, submit to one another in love. And in the following passage, he shows us what that looks like. Wives to husbands, Ephesians 5, 22. Children to parents, Ephesians 6, 1. And slaves to masters, Ephesians 6, 5. So if you agree that this is a mutual submission clause, you can't just apply that to husbands and wives. You must apply it to parents and children and slaves and masters. Now, how many of you parents are submissive to your children? Tell me that. Hopefully none of you, right? 
So I don't believe Paul's talking about a mutual submission between husbands and wives here, just like I don't believe he's talking about mutual submission between parents and children. What he's calling for is for each of us to honor God by honoring the roles that he has given us in each of these relationships. Okay? You with me? Now, that's all I'm going to say about that right now. Come back next week and learn what Paul means when he talks about submission in a marriage relationship because it might be different than what you think, and it's definitely different than the message you'll hear out there, okay? All right, I'll guarantee you that. I want to end this morning by looking at these five characteristics that we've discussed over the past two weeks. And once again, I want you to notice something. Let's put them back up on the screen. Notice what we see here. Notice that each of these characteristics are perfectly displayed in Christ. Christ walked in this way, did he not? He walked in love. The Bible tells us in John chapter 13, verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus loved his own. And he demonstrated his great love for them by laying down his life for theirs. Jesus also walked in purity. The author of Hebrews 4.15 tells us Jesus was in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus also walked as light. In John 8.12, he said this of himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He walked in wisdom. Jesus was filled with wisdom. We're told in his humanity, he grew in wisdom. We're also told that he walked in the Spirit. Scripture tells us that the Spirit descended upon him. He was led by the Spirit. And and get this, folks, he did all of this for us. He came for us. He lived for us. He obeyed for us. He was rejected for us. He gave his life for ours. He was raised for us so that we through him could be forgiven of sin, made right with God, so that we too could be raised to walk in newness of life and follow his example. He did this so we would be saved and so that we could be raised to live as he did and walk as he walked in love, in purity, as light, in wisdom, and in the spirit. If you're here this morning, You have yet to make a decision for Christ. I invite you, I urge you to do so today. I invite you this very day, turn from your sin. Trust in Christ. Give your life over to him. Trust in him for your salvation so that you too can be raised to walk worthy for God by being an imitator of him. Let's pray.